will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as a priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as all the, as the priests who carry the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap of in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Amen. Thank you, Pri. Uh, hello. All right, we're good. Thank you, Priscilla, for butchering only one word while you're reading that scripture. Um, good to see all of you here at New Mercy, the one. I am John. I'm one of the pastors here serving at New Mercy. And um, I'm excited because it's still January. It's still the new year. I feel like it's slowly fading away, that feeling of like newness, right? Like, okay, like right at the end of December, you're like, God, I want to see this happen in my life. This is what I want. I want to lose weight. I want to eat healthier. I want to find a boyfriend, girlfriend. I want to get engaged. I want a new job, new career, dot, 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 dot. And then already two weeks in, maybe some of you feel that pressure like I do. It's like, ah, yeah, it's just kind of like the same thing all over again. But don't lose hope. Here at New Mercy, this year, 2019, we decided to pray through and hold on to this new theme, and we call it Faith Forward. Faith Forward. What does it mean to have dreams and goals that we want to pray over and have tremendous faith towards? I'm talking about impossible prayers. Things that we never even thought of that could become possible. Um, I hope that you dream and pray with me. And today I want to speak more about this theme called Faith Forward uh, by looking at Joshua chapter 3, one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament as Joshua and the Israelites are about to enter finally into the promised land. So let's pray together one more time, invite the Spirit to join us as we learn more about faith forward. Lord, we thank you for you are a God of justice and love. You're a God of grace who constantly comes after us. Even in moments when we turn away from you, we know that you chase after us. And for that, we thank you and we come before you on this Sabbath day to keep it holy and think about you, pray to you, and just commune with you and relate with you. Be with us in your spirit. May you open us up so that we can receive all of who you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, in um, 1865, January 31st, 
something significant happened here in the U.S. You guys know some history buffs? This thing called 13th Amendment was passed, right? And if you don't know what that is, which by the looks of your faces, it looks like most of you don't know what it is, um, it, it changed the entire culture and the way we think in this country. Actual lives changed because the 13th Amendment actually abolished all slavery. From that day forward, January 31st, 1865, when the House finally passed the amendment, the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery and involuntary servitude, except as punishment for a crime. Which means, from that day forward until today and moving forward into the future, that no one in this country can legally have a slave. That there is full freedom that all the black slaves that had to work in the fields in the U.S., in America, could now go independently and live life. Buy your own land. Have your own house. Wear what you want to wear. Sing what you want to sing. Eat what you want to eat. But unfortunately, January 31st, 1865, did not change and transform every slave's in that way. Because the reality was that there were some slaves throughout the country, though they heard that they are free from this point forward, did not want to be free. They voluntarily decided to stay and work and remain as slaves. So you wonder, why would you do that? Right? When your entire life was controlled by these slave masters, In fact, we know stories and stories of these slaves being abused physically, sexually, verbally. You don't want to leave that life? You can. And yet, there were still slaves that we see who decided to voluntarily stay and remain as slaves. Why? Because it's scary. There's responsibilities. There's a cost for living in independence. To live freely means that these slaves now had to go find where they could live. They had to figure out who's going to give me clothes to wear, right? Where am I going to live? What am I going to eat? At least if I stayed as slaves, at least my master feeds me, but now I'm free? Nah, thanks. I'll just stay as slaves. In fact, in the Old Testament, we see a group of people, a community of faith who believe in God and follow after God's word who do the same thing. Following Moses, the Israelites finally left Egypt. Years and years, generations and generations who had to live as slaves. And one day God comes to Moses and Aaron and says, look, I know you're not prepared You might think you're not good enough, but I'm going to give you this staff. You're going to go, and you're going to free your people. And then I'm going to move them into a promised land that I once promised Abraham way before you. That same land. This is the time. Get up. Let's go. And these people got up and left. But we call this generation, the generation that followed Moses, uh, generation of wanderers. In 
another sermon, a pastor calls them wilderness Christians. Wilderness Christians. Why? Because they leave. And if you see the map, they leave Egypt. They start traveling up northeast. And they finally get to the promised land called Canaan. Right before their eye, their promised land is there. And then something happens, and we find out this wilderness Christians start U-turning and come back into the wilderness and desert, and they just circle around there for 40 years. What happened? Well, see, wilderness Christians are those who do believe that God exists, do believe that God created us and can thank God for it, but we do not live in God's victory. They don't know what it means to live in, in, in this life where Jesus Christ came to us, died on the cross, and then resurrected. Hence, we live in victory, and yet wilderness Christians, maybe some of us, we constantly U-turn, and we take our life into our own hands because we lack the faith, we lack trust. See, these wilderness Christians who followed Moses, They got to Canaan. In Numbers 13, we see this story. Moses hears God's voice, and God says, Moses, take 12 leaders, a leader from each tribe. There should be 12. I want you to send them into the land of Canaan as spies. And for 40 days, I want those spies in there finding out what's going on. What are these people like? What resources do they have? And I want you to bring them back. And then you guys can figure out how to move with me into the promised land. It was a very simple plan. You left slavery, Egypt, right? And you follow God into the desert place. God feeds you through manna and provides whatever you need on a daily basis. You finally get to the promised land. You send the 12 spies and they return after 40 days. And then this is where things go wrong. See, among the 12, there was two men, one Caleb, one named Joshua. They came back as men of faith. They saw what they saw in 40 days, came back to Aaron and Moses and said, Guys, this is it. This is our land for taking. This is land full of milk and honey. This is the land that God promised our ancestor, Abraham. This is the time. Let's strap our boots and let's go. But guess how the other 10 spies responded? <laughs> They're like, whoa, 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 hold your horses. I don't think Caleb and Joshua are giving you guys a full picture. Here's what we saw. In fear, in trembling, they responded to Moses and Aaron said, actually, we shouldn't go into the promised land because you don't know, you don't know what we saw. You know how big these people are? They're huge. They're giants. They're like twice as bigger than us. And their army is huge. They're going to crush us and destroy us. It doesn't matter if God's with us. We're all just going to die. So why would we do that? Let's go back. Let's go back to the desert. In fact, even in times of desert, these people, Israelites who followed Moses, we saw these signs of fear and trembling. Right? Because when they were hungry, they said, Moses, We're so hungry. This sucks. It was better living as slaves. We saw those tendencies of U-turning already. And God provides manna. 
Look, they didn't complain, right, when they left Egypt? When the Red Sea broke open and they crossed, and behind them they saw the Egyptian soldiers die? Woohoo! We're God's people. Yeah, I don't know how, it last, how long it lasted. A few weeks, a few months? Start complaining. Let's go back to slavery. God provides again. Let's go back. And you finally get to the promised land. These spies come back. And it's not a surprise that these 10 spies respond very similarly as the Israelites did with doubt and fear. And it says actually in Numbers 13 that these 10 spies who came back, other than Caleb and Joshua, they started to lie. They fabricated false information to all the Israelites and convinced them that their words were true. So what happened? Forty days, they spy, they come back, they lie in fear, they don't trust God, they don't have faith. And you know what happens? For the next 40 years, corresponding to 40 days, for the next 40 years, they just wander around in the desert. Isn't that insane? Right? I mean, the promised land was right there. And if you look at the map, if they just went in right away with the generation of Moses, they would have just been in. They didn't even have to cross any rivers because they went directly to Canaan. And then they loop around, and then you see Joshua and the Israelites in chapter 3 now going to the east, going down south, and going back east, northeast, around, and now they have to cross the Jordan River. Wilderness Christians. I hope that's not us. I hope when obstacles come our way, in the way to receive God's promise, I hope we don't turn around and roam around in the wilderness. So for 40 years, as God's constantly reminding them, look, are you sure you don't want to go now? It's still there. Are you sure? Are you sure? I just imagine... I'm sure God's very, very patient, but if I was him, I'd be like, all right, look, I give up on you guys. You want to roam around? Roam around all you want. I'm not going to give you manna anymore. He did. But it's like I would have given up on these people who said, I have faith in you, God. I love you. Thank you for leaving us out of slavery. But the promised land, oh, oh we got a battle. We might die. We have things to sacrifice. There's a cost to receiving this promise. Yeah, no thanks. And this is the first lesson we learn in today's passage. When we chase after God's promise, there's always going to be an obstacle. So expect. You have, each of you, have promises that perhaps you've already received from God or things that you're really praying about. God, this is a promised land I want to get to today. This year, new career, being a better parent, being a better spouse, being a better boyfriend, girlfriend, being more loving and caring, comforting to my family members, whatever it is, whatever promised land it is, you pray through it. But guess what? Don't be surprised when an obstacle comes your way because in order to receive that promise, there's a cost. You want that freedom? You want that gift? There's a cost. See, these wilderness Christians, the generation of Moses, said no to God because they lacked in faith. And for that, for 40 years, they wandered around. What are the obstacles that are facing you? What are the 
Jordan rivers of your life, the river that you have to cross. Look, we can't just microwave our dreams and say, okay, two minutes later, bing, I'm done. I got what I want. Israelites of Moses' generation can't go into the promised land and have God just on a platter just give them the new, hey, guess what? Just come on in. God says, come on in. Look, you don't have to fight. There's no sacrifice. You don't lose anything. You just gain. There's nobody in there. I already kicked them out. This is all yours. Here's your room. Here's the protection I'm going to give you. Here's food. Imagine that happened. Imagine in your life the things that you chase after, the promises that you feel like God's giving you, things that you desire and need in your life. You pray through it, and let's say God says, here, on a platter, without any sacrifice, anything on your part, I'm just going to give it to you. What would happen? I know what I would do. I'd be elated. I'd be so excited. I'd be like, thank you, God. Thank you. This is awesome. You are God who is so gracious. But how long would that last? Honestly. The hands that you lift up to God and say, God, thank you for just giving me this on a platter without me putting in any effort or time or prayer. Soon thereafter, we'll turn around and you'll start patting yourself on the back. Because that was me. I got the new job. I got the new career started. I am a better parent because I read some books and I became a better parent. I became a better boyfriend, girlfriend. I became a better spouse because it was all me. That's perhaps one of the reasons why God doesn't give us all the time our promises on a platter. There's always going to be an obstacle. So the first lesson, once again, that we learn is as we are called to the promise of God, Let's face the obstacle that will challenge our faith in God. Let's face them head first because you don't experience God in abundance. You can experience God here. You can experience God a little bit here. But if you want to live as wilderness Christians, you will never experience God in abundance because you will never act in faith. Soon as that obstacle comes, you'll be surprised. Whoa, I didn't know it was that difficult. I give up. I'll just U-turn and go back the way I was before. <laughs> you want to live a life where you wander around for 40 years? Go ahead. <laughs> but hopefully not. I hope that we learn this year, 2019, as we push forward in faith, faith forward, as we face our challenges head on, Right? We pray in faith and trust that, you know what? We can get over this obstacle. And hopefully no one U-turns here from God. Second lesson we learn here in this passage is that as we wait for the promise of God, don't let your doubts stop you from pressing on. As you face the obstacle, doubts will come. You will question God. And as these doubts or stirred up in your hearts and in your mind and your life, press on. Trust in the promise that God's given you. See, as the Israelites following Joshua came around, and now they're about to cross the Jordan River, right? The promised land's right there. And I imagine them talking to themselves, hey, guess what? Joshua is our new leader. We do have to cross this river. 
but the promised land is right there. Let's not make the same mistake of the generation before us who wandered around for 40 years. That sucked. Let's finally get in there and see what God has promised. So Joshua gathers 12 leaders once again, one from each tribe, right? And then says, look, you guys go check out the land, and we're going to figure out and strategize how to take over this land. So he actually sends two spies in. They come back. He sits, gathers together in a camp with 12 leaders now, and they're strategizing how to take over and go into the promised land. This is where we come to chapter 3 in Joshua. So he says, from what he hears from the spies, just like Caleb and Joshua once did, these two spies come elated and say, Joshua, this is our time. Let's go now. Joshua gets and gathers all the Israelites and says, okay, everyone, up, gather your tents. This is the time. We're going to go. So pick up their tents. They go, and what do we see in chapter 3? They camp now near the, the, the Jordan River. And then they stay there for three days. I imagine now with the leaders, they have to figure out, what are we going to do? How are we going to cross this river? And then I imagine the Israelites camping around that river for three days. Their mind starts playing trick on them. Doubts start kicking in. Questions about whether, I don't know if God's with us and if we can do this. Why? Because if they got there a month earlier than when they got there, if they got there two months after when they got there, they wouldn't have this problem. But just happens to be that when they arrive at the Jordan River, we find out that Jordan River is flooding. See, Jordan River, when they arrived after Joshua, it was flooding season. All the snow in the mountains nearby has melted, and there's so much water, so that on a normal condition, we're talking about a five, six-foot deep river, about 50, 60, 70 feet wide, where these people, on a daily basis, as they pilgrimage back and forth, they crossed it by foot. Because, see, the bridge over the Jordan River didn't, wasn't created until the Roman era. So this is something people did. But is it horrible luck? <laughs> they get there, promised land, and guess what? It's springtime. Water is 10 to 12 feet deep. It's 140, 150, 160 feet wide. It's rushing, they say, up to 40 miles per hour. You have thousands and thousands of Israelites, men, women, and children. Probably none of them knew how to swim. And now you got all this luggage and you're going to cross the river and then go into battle? See how the doubts would kick in? I imagine the Israelites gathering. They hear their leader Joshua saying, let's go. Let's tent here for three days and then we'll cross. First day, you're good. You're like, man, we learned from our generation before us their mistakes. We're going to go into the promised land. Aren't you excited? And then that night you're sleeping or at least you're trying to and you hear the gushing wind and you hear the torrent of the water and you're like, oh. You wake up and you see the water going 40 miles per hour. You see your children. You see all this luggage that you had and you begin to question. Questioning becomes doubt. 
doubt makes you want to turn around and go back. When we face the promises of God, don't let your doubts stop you from pressing on. Look, I get it. Having doubt is a natural thing. It's okay. It's not the fact that we are doubting God or what's about to happen. That's really wrong. But when you doubt and that doubt grows and you hold on to that doubt more than God and the promise of God, and the faith that we're supposed to have, then you will become people of wilderness once again. Historians argue that, you know, the Jordan River today is very drastically different than back in the day. Now if you go between Jordan and Israel, the two countries, the river runs, and if you get to this spot of Joshua 3, where the Israelites cross, they say it's like three feet deep, and you can just cross it. It doesn't look significant at all. But we know that it's because over the years, these two nations have used the water so much that they're running out of it. But if you look at the historical writings about this river, in the ancient world, the Jordan River was very intimidating. In fact, ancient Christian travel logs, writings that we found, warned pilgrims that the current was so strong And occasionally they reported that pilgrims actually fell in and died. In 13th century letter, complained that the Jordan was practically impassable, so no one should cross. One 19th century explorer, William Lynch, related his his just harrowing experience on a riverboat where he almost died and feared of life. So this is no joke. When you're facing that Jordan River and you begin to see physically how bigger it is than you've imagined. You start to imagine what it would look like to step into that water. And you fear, and you tremble, and you doubt. But this is a second lesson. Look, when you face your Jordan rivers, I don't know what your rivers are, but you, we all got rivers to cross this year, 2019. It's how life works. This is how we learn about God. This is how we learn how to press forward and cling on to God. I don't know what yours are, but I hope when that doubt comes, don't be surprised. Accept it, acknowledge it, and press on. Hold on to God even more. God, this river, I know that the promise that you've given me, the promise that I want, this is my promised land, and I face the river. That's okay, God. Obstacles, fine. Doubts start kicking in. You ask God, God, I want faith so strong, so mighty, that I can hold on to you even tighter during this time. And when you do and you press on, you can get to the promised land. And here's the third lesson then. You don't cross that river by yourself. When you are about to enter into the promised land, you must follow after God in faith. You must follow after God in faith. Israelites who followed after Joshua, they got to the river, they're camping out for three days, they start having doubt. They come to Joshua. I'm sure there's murmuring, there's whispering, there's gossip, and Joshua, Joshua just hushes all of them, I imagine, says, no, we are going. 
three days up, we will enter and we will cross this obstacle called Jordan River. We will not die. God will save us. The same God that split the Red Sea will split this river and we will live. And imagine Joshua telling all the Israelites, this is what God told me. As we read in chapter 3 today, God spoke to Joshua and said, Joshua, before anything happens, before anyone steps into that river, I want you to gather the priests and this phrase, Ark of the Covenant. Get the Ark of the Covenant. Get the priests to hold that and want them to be the first one to step into the river. How amazing this life would it be? Like how comfortable would life be if we got to the edge of the river and river just splits? <laughs> Thank you, God. This is awesome. But those are not God's instructions. Word for word, God tells Joshua, get the priest, hold the Ark of the Covenant, and step into the current. And when you do, miracles will happen. When we take step, steps of faith, trusting in the graciousness of God, then we can see and taste and hold on to the promise of God. See, the Ark of the Covenant is a physical symbol, representation of who God was and is and will be. So you know what was in the Ark of the Covenant? See, Ark of the Covenant is basically a wooden box. It's covered in gold. On top of the cover, they said there were two seraphims, which are two angels in gold. When you open it, There were a few things in the box. One of them was the stones in which God gave Moses the laws, the commandments, reminding them, I am with you. I give you the law. When you follow me, obey me, you will get to the promised land. There was Aaron's stick, the staff, the the, the miracle, magical staff, right? To remind them once again, God's not going to do this amazing miracle all of a sudden because you guys are so special. I, God's done it before. In a, split up the sea. You think crossing this river is going to be a problem? You know what else was in there? Leftover manna. In the Ark of the Covenant, there was leftover manna. Once again, to remind the Israelites, look, when you were hungry, when you were thirsty, you just looked up in the sky and you called out God's name and I gave you food. There's so many reasons, so many reasons why the Israelites had to hold on to God. But reality is just like them, just like us, when we see the current going, passing by so fast, this obstacle that we feel like I cannot get over on my own, then the doubt kicks in and we want to turn around. And yet God says this third lesson. When you see that river and you feel like you cannot do it yourself, don't you worry because I, your God, your Father who loves you, all-powerful, almighty, in the form of Ark of the Covenant, will step into that water first. And so it goes, priests, hold this Ark of the Covenant, trusting, trusting God. They step, and it says the river stopped flowing, and they all crossed on dry land. That's how much God loves us. God's going to go before us. Look, God goes before us. He's next to us. He's behind us. But we often forget 
that God loves us so much that he's willing to go before us. All the challenges that you think are impossible, all the prayer requests that we're putting up here, as we write them, we think, oh, this is impossible. God says, I will go before you, and I will show you that when you follow me, you get to that promised land. Do you have such faith? Will you pray with me and hold on to God as we press on this year, 2019, to know that God is with us and he will go before us? When I look at this prayer board, when I think about the theme, Faith Forward, it's, it's daunting to me. I feel like there's a lot of other pastors in our staff who are like, this is it. This is amazing. God's going to do this. I got this vision. I got this dream. And I'm like, oh, great. That's spiritual giftings. I'm just going to stick to counseling people because that's what I'm going to have. I'm going to work with practical, real stuff, take baby steps because that's how naturally I am. I like to set goals that I can reach. I don't like impossible goals. I don't even like thinking about it. While my wife, on a long drive, talking about this sermon, she's like, that's awesome. This is what I'm dreaming this year. This is what faith forward means to me. And I'm like, uh, I don't think that's possible, Hannah. <laughs> How's that possible? We got two kids. We have this much money. We have this much time. I have all these responsibilities. You have all these responsibilities. That's how my mind functions. So trust me, guys. This is a step of faith for me. I'm still trying to even figure out what the heck is my river that I have to cross this year. Because I don't want to ask myself that question. But I feel like if I ask it, it's going to show up in my life. And then I have to really trust God and go into it and fear and tremble and, and think that maybe I'm not going to make it. But that's why we decided to do something like this. A physical representation of this community saying, you know what, we're going to have faith this year. We're going to pray for impossible things. As Pastor Wanja said, this is not a board where we put down and say, you know, at the end of the year, the more it's over there, then we know God exists. And if there are less over there, more on this side, we know God doesn't exist. That's not what this is about. This is not about health and wealth. It's about dreaming with God. It's about promised land. That is not something that we can achieve purely on our own. You have a new career that you're praying for? Great. Let's face that river and get there together through prayer. You want to have a child and it's been difficult? Let's pray through it and get there. You want to rebuild your relationship with your boyfriend, girlfriend, with your family members, your parents? You have a broken marriage? Let's pray through it. Those are impossible in my mind. But I know that if I follow after the Ark of the Covenant, the promise that God made us. Say, when you follow after me, when you trust me, when you have faith in me, all, all things are possible. Joshua 3 is a bookend of what started in Moses and his generation. Right? As the Red Sea is parted, the beginning of the bookmark begins and and God shows the Israelites, look, I am a God that frees you from slavery, can free you from addictions of this world. I can free you from the hurts and sufferings of this world that you've endured. 
And then here in Joshua 3, we see the other end. It's really not the end, right? It's the beginning of something new. But it's the end of Israelites wandering around in the wilderness with no goal, no vision, no dream, no promise. Where do you want to be? Bookends already happened. You've seen God all throughout. No matter how the Israelites respond in one bookend to the other, how much they complain, how much they lose faith, how much they doubt God, God is consistent. That's the God that we believe in. So will you pray with me today? We bow your heads and just pray with me. Let's pray to a God who is faithful in our life as we strive towards our Lord, as we receive the promise, as we seek after the promise, and we follow after Him. I just want to spend this time, ask this church, New Mercy, will you just pray with me this afternoon? Let's just lift up a prayer to God and tell Him, God, this is my promised land. This is where I want to get to, God. And perhaps some of you, God has already shown you what that promise is for this year. Let's pray about that. Let's think about that promise. And if you feel like God hasn't shown you something, fine. Just tell God what you want. Tell God your promised land. Maybe he'll say yes, maybe no. But for a fact, whatever it is, obstacles are going to come our way. And let's pray to God. God, I want this so badly in my life. I will use it to glorify you and build your kingdom up. Please let me get to this promised land. And when the obstacles come, let me hold on to you more faithfully, trusting that as you help the Israelites cross over that river with Joshua, you do the same for me. Let's pray. Let's pray.